Welcome to Vancouver Island University's Malaspina Theatre Podcast, recorded in our beautiful lobby. Every episode, we hope to feature a different format offering the widest possible cultural conversation and discover what's important to our ever-changing program and emerging artists, and create discussions that's important to our community. We would like to acknowledge and thank the Sunemo, the Wet'sum, Talaman, Snow-Noahs, and Qualcomm First Nations, whose on traditional land we teach, learn, research, live, and share knowledge. Hey, gentlemen, thank you so much for, uh, for indulging me on this little experiment that I'm hoping we can bring to the classes and uh, find out a little bit more about our program and uh, just explore what's important to, uh, to the instructors as well as to the students. Um, today, I have Leon Potter and uh, Ross Dupre. And then, Ross, I was going to maybe start with you. And um, can you tell me a little bit about... Um, uh, you went to UVic and your connection with the program, and, and when did you start, you know, and then, uh, yeah, we'll move on from there. Well, the most interesting thing is that I actually started before I went to UVic. Oh. So, uh, yeah, I was here as a student the second year the, that the theater was actually opened here, and I was a student here for four years, and then I went to UVic. Uh, and then I just kept coming back for sh and to see shows here because I was still friends with the faculty and stuff. And then, as fate would have it, I ended up getting a job here, and I've been here 25 years ever since. That's awesome. What were the shows that, um, what, do you remember the years and the shows that you did when you were a student? Uh, yeah, I remember uh, <clears throat> I was in We Too, which was probably an Equus, Les Belles Sœurs. Uh, I think the first show I worked on was uh, backstage on, uh, I can't remember, it might have been uh, The Cherry Orchard, uh, way back. Uh, but yeah, the first shows that I was in I, uh, were uh, We Too, Equus, Twelfth Night, Oh What a Lovely War, Play It Again, Sam, oh, Trivial yeah. Deceit. Oh, wow, that's awesome. And then you were an actor, or you, did you direct any yeah, of Yeah, at that or? time, I was, a, I was a, a really arrogant young actor. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love and, those. And um, what brought you to the program originally? Like, well, I grew up in Nanaimo, of course, and my parents founded the Nanaimo Theater Group. So uh, in my, <clears throat> uh, you know, my quest, psychological quest to please my mother and to spend some time with my mother. She was always at rehearsal. Yeah. So uh, I went off to, I got involved and would go to rehearsals with my mom just to spend time with her. Uh, and eventually she pushed me onto the stage and I found a home there and I really liked it. So when the, the program started here, it was a real logical thing to do. It, I, it was, the timing was perfect for me. Yeah, you know, Nanaimo Theatre Group is actually... Where I can say I, I got started as well. I, I have so many fond memories of your dad, um, Roger. He was a bit of a, a curmudgeon, of course, and then uh, but we he... pride ourselves on being curmudgeon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've taken up the yeah, the taken, yeah, but um, but that sense of community is something I definitely got from uh, Nanaimo Theater Group. People would. Um, work all day and then they would uh, come and and you know rehearsals were often like three four five hours long and then you'd stay afterwards and you'd you know do some wrap up clean up and then you would do that three four times well, and that a week. sense of community is so important to theater and and I often think back to you know I was a little kid going to these rehearsals but the thing that I most remember about it was that 
these adults didn't treat me like a little kid when I was in rehearsal. I was a member of the company, yeah. and I got to play with adults. Yeah. And, and I grew up playing with adults, which I, was really special, I think. Like, I got my education through theater with the adults that I hung around with. That's actually cool. And, and interestingly yeah. enough, when the theater program started here, probably the biggest interest was from the Nimo Theater Group. A lot of their people came here because it was this new, exciting influence in town, Tony and Neil, uh, and a lot of people from the Nimo Theater Group came and were involved in productions here just to up their game. And then they took that back to NTG, and, and it's still, you know, it's grown to be this amazing force in town. Yeah. Um, and over the last couple of years especially, we've really kept that um, going. You know, we have a number of our, our alumni who've been working on shows and doing some design. And that's actually one of my most fondest memories. They gave me the opportunity to do, you know, technical theater, lighting design, sound design, without having any experience, you know? Because um, tech has always been one of those things that there's fewer people wanting to do tech maybe than, than on stage. So just great opportunities to experiment. And they were very, they're very welcome and opening to that. Absolutely they are. And it's been a real, the last five or 10 years, I guess, with the Nanaimo Theater Group, has been a real turning point for them with the original old guard is kind of retired. Right. And I think they were worried about what was going to happen to the club. But it's great to see that they, they're as strong as ever and there's a whole new crew in there that's just as energetic and enthusiastic as before, so it's great. Yeah. So when you uh, took the job at Malaspina College, um, do you remember what the first show and what role you did? As a professor? As a professor. Um, I think the first show I directed was Our Country's Good. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I'm pretty sure... Uh, yeah, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're just luckily he's got a list of all the shows. Yeah, our country's That's good. It. There you go. Oh yeah. And what so year that, was that, Rob? Nineteen ninety-five. Nineteen ninety-five. Yeah, that would have been my my first show, and I was actually still I was doing my masters at uh, UVic at the same time, and they allowed me to use that as one of my graduate projects. That's great. Which was very kind. Yeah. Um, UVic uh, production manager Bert just recently retired, and that's the, right. The entire community is talking about that because it's uh, it's one of those once in a lifetime job postings. Um, did you work with Bert? Or? Absolutely. Yeah. When yeah. I was a student here, Bert was the TD of the building, and uh, I actually sent a little video clip for his retirement party, saying, "Hey, Bert, don't forget your old." days back at Malaspina uh, here because yeah I remember Bert awesome. is a very young man just out of university I think he came from Lethbridge or somewhere and uh, joined the wacky new crew at Malaspina at the time and uh, yeah and then he went on to UVic and then when I went back to UVic years later of yeah. course Bert and I already had a relationship going right. and he was always super supportive and just a wonderful yeah. guy but yeah he was one of the first uh, people working in the building here. Uh, I love that. Uh, it just shows you how small the community is, no matter what, eh? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, like all across Canada or just on the island. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because we, we remounted our country's good, I think at this point, two years ago. That's right. And then um, was that an homage to the original, you know, or, or did no, you have something No, I wouldn't say it was a home, an homage. I think we were discussing plays and someone was, we were talking about someone coming in to direct plays and one of the plays they had suggested was Our Country's Good. And I went, well, if anybody's going to direct that, I'm going to direct it because I love that play so much. 
How did you find coming back to it? You know, I found, I think now, I don't think I would, and I think that's why generally theaters don't remount shows, because mm. I think the first time you explore a play, it's really magical and wonderful, and when you come back at it again, as much as you try to distance yourself from what you did before, yeah. it never seems as satisfying. Like, I think the second production was still a, a, a fairly decent production, mm -hmm. but in my brain, it's it was nowhere close, and it's never going to reach what the first one was. So I've always had that fascinating thing where you where you do a show and then you come back to that show a few years later, and you, of course, you're coming at it with more experience, more life, more uh, more ideas, uh, etc., and of course more tech, and you think, okay, so now what now what is it about? Right. Well, the, what was it about then? What were the challenges? The trap, for that though, show? is that from the first experience, you think like a certain scene. You think I learned what this scene is about. I know mm -hmm. how it works, and then you try to recreate that with a different group of actors yeah. who have a different mindset. And eventually, you realize no, they're not going to see it the same way that that, that crew did. So yeah, exactly. you, you have to kind of smack yourself on the head and go, "It's not what it was before. It's going to be something totally different." Yeah, exactly. And trusting the new process, but I find that that, that was hard. Yeah. yeah, I always find it's interesting because whenever whenever I'm directing a show, I almost inevitably, at some point in Tech Weekend, I'll have a flash of, "This is how I could do it." <laughs> which is 180 degrees polar opposite to what's actually going on on stage. And I have to think to myself, I almost like want a little notebook where I, I write it down and be like, okay, so next, next time, time. Yeah, right. I'm going to do it like this, <laughs> and it's going to be way cooler. Well, <laughs> and, and I don't know, tell I think, anybody. <laughs> I think that would probably be the best way to approach it is to find a play. If you're going to do it, try and do it as totally different than the first. Yeah, exactly. Like a different look and a different... Unfortunately, something like Our Country's Good is really kind of set in its period yeah. And, yeah, exactly. and the look of it. So it was a little more difficult with that. We did the same with uh, uh, We Too. You know, we remounted We Too years later, and I thought... I, remember I remembered it from the original production, and it was so huge in Nanaimo because it was about Nanaimo. And um, at the time, it was this huge thing and in the town like the the buzz was enormous yeah. and i thought wouldn't it be great if we can get that buzz going again and it and it was an interesting play and then when i got back into redoing it i realized well it's not actually that great a play <laughs> <laughs> um and Again, trying to get a new cast to see something that they don't have the same connection to was really odd. Yeah. Um, and of course, the the weird thing about that production, it's all about unions and coal mining and unions and the rise of unionism. And oddly enough, I think... That was the year we went on strike. I think we did two production, two shows in a run, and it got shut down because of the union strike. <laughs> so the students never actually got to fully perform the show because the campus got shut down by a Which union. Which I think, if I recall correctly, I was talking to you about that before, and didn't that happen the first time you mounted it as well? I don't... There was, there was some kind of difficulty with the union at the time, or... I don't like remember that. There was there a lot of been. strikes or something like that that would happen. And I remember you and I talking because we were on the picket line and we were, we were saying, you know what? We don't do that show again. That's got a... That there's it, something I, about it. I think it, it right? is a yeah. cursed show in yeah. some way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting you say that. One, one of the, uh, the strongest um, uh, memories I have of a play is uh, the, the Dunsmuir's. And then I remember being in, in uh, Ladysmith Secondary School. So I was a high school student. I, uh, I came to Malaspina Theatre College. 
uh, watched a sh you know watched the Dunsmuirs, and I was absolutely captivated by watching people spill off the catwalks and down the ladders and from backstage and just you know they just really um, uh, took over the stage in such a powerful way, and that's actually what got me interested in technical theater. Was that, the, that was the Theater One production, or not Theater One, it was... Shakespeare Plus. Shakespeare Plus at the time, or something yeah. like that. Or. Oh, it wasn't a university play. It no, was, I don't no, think it was. No, because it looked like there was a lot of uh, university students involved, because it was, was a massive cast. There was a lot of uh, inbreeding going on at that time between right. yeah, yeah. Uh, Shakespeare Plus and the university were linked very closely. That was actually my first gig. Was really? That, yeah, the, I, I came up from UVic. I yeah, got yeah. I got this gig with Shakespeare Plus. It was my first. Right, I was like, oh, it's gonna be great. So yeah, I came up here. That's where I met Mike. Right. And was working with him there. So um, uh, when did Mike Tar? And maybe I'll ask you both this question. So what were the first shows that you worked with with Mike Tar? As the, and he started as the uh, the technical director. And then he later on became the production manager, if that's correct. Mm, I'm not sure when Mike Tarr started. 89. I think Mike was here when I came to teach right yeah. off the bat. So I, my first work with Mike would have been even uh, on Our Country's Good, I think. Yeah. yeah. Right. How about you, Leanne? Uh, it would have been that first summer. I did, um, when I went to UVic, I did the first summer over there doing when they were doing Peter Pan in the summertime and then the next summer I got a gig with uh, theater one Shakespeare plus um, the festival theater mm -hmm. Nanaimo festival I think it was called um, that was happening here and that was during the summer and it was Mike that hired me and I was working with him and George who's now um, oh the president of uh, ATSI yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and it was that crowd interesting so I came I came up here and was working with them on that for that summer which is great yeah. Um, uh, maybe Ross will address this next one to you. As part of this kind of historical discovery that I'm going down in, uh, we've got these scholarships. Um, and I'll just read off some of them. Uh, uh, the Neil Rutherford Memorial Award, um, a legacy gift from the VIU Theater Department, founding member, stagecraft instructor, and designer. Did you have, have any uh, relationship with uh, Neil Rutherford? Did you work with him at Absolutely. all? Absolutely. Neil was here when I was first here as a student. Uh, amazing guy. Uh, really interesting character. Uh, of course, it was the, the late 70s, so there was a lot of partying going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Neil had this huge house at the top of Albert Street, this old character home, and had some just wonderful parties. He was... A very gentle soul, a really cr super creative guy, just an amazing lighting and set designer. Nice. Um, yeah, he was uh, quite an influence on a lot of people, Neil. Yeah, loved him. Oh, that's awesome. He died tragically in a car accident after he had left here to go work for CBC, I think. Right. Uh, but yeah, just a wonderful guy. And actually, just as a side note, uh, for years they talked about the ghost of our theater, yeah. and that ghost was Neil Rutherford. Um, I have a picture of him in my office, and students would talk about seeing somebody up in the gantry at the middle of the night when they were working alone or walking across the stage in the middle of a class or something, and I'd show them the picture of Neil, and they'd go, that's the guy. Ah. Crazy. And I always thought Neil was here just kind of, and 
the interesting thing was students always felt that gentle supportiveness from the ghost. Like yeah. it wasn't like he was here to scare anybody here. Yeah. He was here to kind of just oversee everything. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm not really superstitious, but every night when I would leave the building before I shut the lights off, if I was the last one, I'd always say, good night, Neil. Yeah. And we've never had a ghost light in this building. No. Um, I think Neil liked the dark. Yeah. Uh, Mike Tarr would always poo-poo the idea of, there being a ghost in the theater. And then, interestingly enough, when, when Mike passed, um, all the spirit went out of this building. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No one ever talks about seeing anybody. I don't feel any presence of anybody yeah. in this building. And I think Mike, you know, in my own brain, I say, Mike went to Neil and said, let's get out of here. Let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. go for a drink. Yeah, we're okay. <laughs> So, Leon, I think that um, you did an interview, this is a number of years, where somebody was asking about ghost stories. Uh, yeah, it was an interview a- for a book that came out, um, and that's one of the things that came up. But I remember the one, the, the incident that really brought it home for me was during one of the first opening nights that I came to, when I, ver- when I first started, we were doing Midsummer Night's Dream, you had directed it, um, and somebody took a picture of me and I was walking through the lobby, and it's, they were just taking pictures of, of everything. And when they developed the, the pictures, this is back when photos were actually developed, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> when, so, when they developed the picture, there was someone behind me, and I was totally alone. And it, there was just a, like, not much, just like a shadow, just a smoky kind of interesting thing behind me. And it was, like, right there on the stairs. And I remember they came up, and they were like, oh, my God, you have to see this. And I was like, wow. Wow. All right, that's interesting. Yeah. But it was great. Yeah. But it was always, there was always the, um, so when, I can't remember the name of the student, was compiling stories for a book around Vancouver Island. Of course, naturally, he started asking around, and that brought them here to the theater. Where, you know, right. they interviewed a bunch of people around it. That's awesome. Cool. Um, another person that uh, I'd, I'd like to explore a little more, we've got the Mike Monich Memorial Award. Uh, in memory of a very driven acting student who died tragically while working at Caravan Theatre. Um, uh, I definitely want to do a call out uh, to anybody who worked directly or knows any information about Mike. I, w- I would love to eventually just do an episode you know, just talk about uh, his journey. But do either one of you have any Yeah, Mike or? was a student of mine yeah. my first years here. And yeah, he was, you know, one of those inspiring students who was just so enthusiastic about everything. Um, he just wanted to learn everything tech, and he was a, a really energetic and enthusiastic actor. He, he, was, he played Harry Brewer in Our Country's Good, I remember. He was fabulous. Uh, yeah, and it inspired me as a teacher at that time. It's like, wow, yeah, this is going to be a great gig. Like, if I yeah. have students like this, uh, my job's going to be so interesting, and it has been. Uh, but, you know, there's always that one or two students a year that are, you know, really make it worthwhile. And, and Mike Monich was really the guy who inspired me when I started, for sure. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Terrific young guy. Yeah. yeah. And so tragic to lose him so early because he really had a career in front of him, no matter where he was going or what he was doing. Yeah. It was going to happen. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. There's a neat connection with the Caravan Theater and, uh, and Malaspina, too. Like, over the years, I know that we've sent a lot of students to, uh, to work with their organization. Well, Nick Hutchinson used to come down and direct some shows, and I know he would bring a lot of um, their design people would come down and work on shows. They were connected with Tony Bancroft and uh, 
So there was always that connection. Yeah, and so it was a logical stepping stone for a lot of our students. Yeah, to, they'd go from here and then get a gig up at Caravan. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. Uh, Leon, I'd love to hit you up with some questions. Um, yeah, maybe before you started this job, mm-hmm. uh, I know that you've gotten some uh, um, education at other universities and around. I think you're also from UVic. Yeah, I started at UVic. Um, I did the whole th- I was very similar. I did the whole thing where, you know, I finished high school um, and went in originally to become an actor, thinking that once you graduate from theater school, there is a limo waiting to take you to L.A. Um, yep. With, you know, fame, fortune, and, and <laughs> press is all waiting for you. Uh, that perspective died really quickly, I think, in the very first class. <laughs> of, um, which is actually, UVic is actually where you and I first met. It is, um, yeah. Which is kind of cool. Because I believe you were doing your master's. Yes. Yeah, you were doing your master's at the same time as I was working on my bachelor, which is great. Mm -hmm. So my thing was, um, when I got there, the acting side of it was really interesting, but the what really intrigued me was, of course, when I walked backstage, and there was this huge workshop, and props were being built, and set pieces were being built. Um, And one of the shows that I was working on when I was at when I was there was uh, Ghost Sonata I don't remember Um, Giles was directing uh, this production of Ghost Sonata and it was a 30 foot face that was huge and there was like the woman's mouth would open up and it was just it was the most fantastically upstaging set design I have ever seen you could act you could just juggle and pick your nose in front of in front of that set people wouldn't even notice they'd be looking at it going my god this is the most beautiful thing i've ever seen and it was great it was amazing but it really but working on that and having the opportunity to work on that really inspired me to go into set and lighting design so that's what i did the bachelor degree in um is i from uvic i went from a set and lighting designer eventually i knew i wanted to be a director right and i wanted to direct plays um, and one of the things that really became prominent in those early days was I was working with a director who came in one day and I remember witnessing an argument, a heated discussion, whichever, between <laughs> the director and uh, some of the designers and the tech crew, the director desperately wanting something and having no idea how to actually vocalize it or verbalize it, but they'd seen it in a dream and were <laughs> trying to paint a picture, and you've got these designers that are sitting there basically holding the, temple, holding the vein in their temple and trying to make it so that it's not visually pulsing. Um, and I realized, okay, so this is, this is one of the most important things in this entire thing, in this entire industry was communication the ability to communicate. So knowing that I wanted to eventually direct, I decided I wanted to learn how to be a set designer and a lighting designer, which was fantastic. So I did those first. And then I went away <clears throat> from there and went, in, went over to, back to Vancouver, worked whatever jobs I could find, and then over to England, where I did a master's in directing there. Uh, it, technically, it was an MA in um, text and performance studies. With uh, with an emphasis where you could when you got there they said okay what's your emphasis and I declared there were three of us that were going into directing and that was through uh, RADA and King's College 
That's awesome. Yeah. See, that's, that's such a great story because it's the same. You know, I left university and I thought I'm going to get that limo out the back. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm going to go be an actor. <laughs> and I moved to Winnipeg and... Uh, which is close to Hollywood. Close, closer, <laughs> yeah, about as close to Hollywood as I could get. And uh, but I realized, you know, there was a lot of work backstage. And yeah. because I had done the tech program, while that was the beauty of Malaspina University College, was that you learned everything. And I quickly, you know, was accepted backstage at at places like MTC and stuff. But, and doing carpentry and lighting, props everything and then eventually coming to the same realization but maybe in a different way that gee you know maybe what i really want to do is direct now i know so much about realizing that directing is about you need to know how to communicate everything and if you've actually worked in all of those areas you're probably in a pretty good shape to actually direct a play because i know how to talk to these people when they say i can't do that you can say well i can tell you how to do it (laughs) exactly or i've seen it done or just just to be able to talk the same language yeah exactly and and to have even just a little bit of experience in each of those fields like to know how to talk to a lighting designer how do i talk to a set designer Mm -hmm. and and yeah and eventually you become a director yeah exactly (laughs) yeah no that's fantastic yeah. I know that the uh, the technical background that I had actually saved my bacon when I was in England, um, because when I declared a master's in directing, they said, okay, you can either go with a theoretical approach or a practical approach. And I said, I want to do a practical approach. And they were like, are you sure? Because it's it's a lot harder. And I was like, all right, yeah. Like, all right, we won't give you anything. You don't get to use these theaters. You have to go and produce, you want to produce something, go produce something. Oh, excellent. Out. And the cool part was, is I found this theater, I got involved with a show outside of school in a little theater called The Garage. So I walked back and I was given a tour of, um, by a friend of mine at The Garage and I went back to this, into the booth area and there was sort of a mountain, a pile of lighting instruments just kind of stuffed on the corner. I was like, What's the, the little technician inside of me sort of screamed and was like, ah! Um, and I was like, what's going on here? And they were like, well, we don't have a TD. And I was like, well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll TD your theater for the year if you give me some time because I need, I need three weeks of time. And they were like, sure, done. So I, TD, so I worked there and TD'd their shows um, and, you know, tech their shows and took care of the instruments and sort of, refurbished the place and got it back up to scratch. Did their inventory and cleaned everything up and got everything back up to scratch. And they gave me a three-week time slot, which in the West End of London is massive. Right? Like three weeks of time is huge. I would yeah. never be able to afford it. And we're like, great, go for it. So yeah, yeah that worked out nicely. Yeah, and you know, my I still hadn't given up my dream of being an actor. And while I'm, <laughs> while I, but you know, I always thought, you're not going to meet people in a in a restaurant being a waiter, mm-hmm. so I'm better off sweeping floors in a theater. Exactly. And uh, I was moving senior around on a big production at Manitoba Theater Center, and there was a screw up in the set design, and uh, a young girl was supposed to leave in the scene to go on a date with her boyfriend, and has a little discussion with her parents on the way out the door, and at tech rehearsal, the director goes, "Oh, wait a minute, there's a problem here. I can see the door." I can see outside the door, and it's obvious there's nobody there ringing the door. And 
So he said, where's that young guy backstage? And he called me out and he said, you ever done any acting? And I went, damn right. <laughs> and he said, okay, you're going to be the boyfriend and ring the doorbell. So I'd move furniture backstage for the whole show. And then at one point I'd put on a 12-inch pink mohawk wig <laughs> and a black leather jacket. And I would walk out and ring the doorbell and stand there and wait for this girl to come. And we would exit. And that was my first professional acting gig on a big stage brilliant but if i hadn't been back there moving furniture you wouldn't have got it i wouldn't have got it yeah. and the same director came back six months later direct a production i went and auditioned for him and he went you were the boyfriend uh, so he gave me another uh, he gave me a part that actually had like three lines there you go. and you know it's all about where do you who do you know where do you meet them yep. and you're not going to meet them on the street or waiting yeah. tables you know yeah, exactly so yeah. the more you know yeah, the more the doors will open. That's always something that I've that I've admired about this program is the ability is um, the fact that we throw everybody in immediately and that everybody does everything, right? So that the people that are on stage and the people that are backstage are all working together, and you know you you'll be in rehearsal with a, with this group of people, but the same group of people who are acting in the show will be showing up to the lighting hangs, showing up to the builds. They'll be showing up to the tech weekends and getting everything. It's always been great. about building Working that ensemble costumes. and that sense of community. Absolutely. And, and look how many students have done right turns in the middle of their education here. And, oh, and absolutely. They, like probably 80% of them come in thinking they're going to be actors. Mm -hmm. And they leave as technicians. And now people like Ace Martins and, and you know, there are people that have major positions in mm -hmm. theaters around Canada who, when they first came here, wanted to be actors. Exactly. So... Yeah, what um, uh, what to what brought you to uh, uh, Malaspina? And was it Malaspina College at the time? No, it was Malaspina. It was Malaspina University College, and it's just become a university had the university college designation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there were a bunch of regional things along those lines. Uh, okay. Interesting story. Do you want the interesting story? Or sure. no? Okay, yeah. so here's the scoop. That's why we're here, man. <laughs> we're here, man. <laughs> All right, interesting story. Here's basically, I was living um, with my family in Vancouver. I was working at the Arts Club at the time um, as their box office manager. Um, I had previously taught at Gastown Actors Studio, um, which is where I got introduced to teaching theater history um, and, and that kind of thing, which was great. So I had couple of theater history classes in and I was doing tech and a little bit of design work and acting work wherever I could you know contracts here there and everywhere making making deals up which was great um then your first kid comes along and you're like okay that's that, I can still do this this is great and then the second kid comes along and you're like okay contract to contract is really <laughs> starting to get iffy um then I was working, I was also doing some freelance journalism as well at the time. Um, and I got offered a, a gig to go to um, Mexico to an all-inclusive from a family perspective and write it, up for, write it up for this magazine. I was like, oh, that's great. So I went with my family and I remember thinking to myself, I was like, okay, I need, something needs to shift. So with a little bit of tequila... <laughs> and a beach. I was sitting on a beach in Mexico, talking to the universe, going, "Okay, I need a change. It has to. Ch something needs to change. Something needs to go from from this direction to another direction." And I was like, "It can't be subtle. It can't be a burning bush because I'll just put it out. Uh, it it need you literally need to hit me with a hammer. Whatever powers it be, just let me know." Uh, when I got home, 
duty of tequila is, of course, the universe talks back, and we had a lovely conversation <laughs> for the rest of the night. <clears throat> but the, um, when I got home, the very first phone call that I got was actually from my dad, who had been listening to the news and heard that Tony Bancroft was retiring and that there was a position open for somebody who, was, who could work as a TD and teach theater history. What an unusual combination. Which was a really unusual, com- yeah. and that's what I thought. I was yeah. like, that's a really unusual combination. And as it happens, I've worked as a TD, and, I can, and I've taught theater history. So I wrote, and it turns out it was Mike that I was applying to. I was like, this is fantastic. I came over for the interview, and it was Mike and Ross. Uh, and I was like, well, this is, I was like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> this, <laughs> I know these guys. I'm, I'm suddenly much more relaxed, all right? <laughs> Um, and we sat down, we had an interview, uh, a little while later, I got, a little while later, I got a phone call saying, yeah, it's yours if you want it. And then three days after that, I had a house and then I just moved everybody over. Moved the I whole remember the over. search process because you're right. It was the weirdest job posting yeah. on the planet. And we were thinking, where are we going to find somebody who can fill, you can be a TD plus teach theater history. And we also thought we, it would be great to have another director around. So that was on our radar as well. And then Leon came in and we talked to him. We were like, well, hey, there is somebody <laughs> in the universe who can do this. Yeah, so it was, it, was, it was really, it was one of those very much so in the right place at the right time. What was the first play, uh, you know, basically the first day of work or what was your first, uh, first term like? Oh, like, first term was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, the first term was fantastic. Um, it was... Because Mike was the head of the head of the program, so he was getting used to that. Uh, getting used to that, you were directing. Ross was directing um, *Midsummer Night's Dream*, mm. right? Which was a beautiful show, uh, absolutely gorgeous. Because we had uh, Carol Clem did the Carol painting. Clem did the pa- yeah, they were painting on the floors. Yeah, it was this beautiful show. I think I did stunning. the sound design for that. I think you did, Robert. Yeah, that's crazy. That's where you and I first met. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. All um, these weird connections. But yeah, yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I, I did the sound design for that. I, I was really happy with that. One. Yeah, yeah. That no, great. it was yeah. it was really cool. And we had these those beautiful uh, drapes, which were made out of that deer netting. Which you know, that's right. Yeah. We had the wonderful make work project for the students, where they would weave stuff like just gems and tape. Videotape, videotape, and, and whatever, whatever we into could into the scrim. Yeah, really great. Um, yeah, so that was sort of the first show that I did. Um, and then, of course, the way the terms work, you go into these shows, you're at breakneck speed, and then all of a sudden the show is over, and you've got a week and a half left, and suddenly it's the end of term, and then the next week, and then you turn around and they're giving you an, you know, a long service award of you've been here for 10 years. You go, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, wow. Okay. That's not expected, but <laughs> great. So that's sort of how that happened. And the beauty of it too, you know, uh, over the years you have got the opportunity to shake your uh, director muscles here. Oh, and absolutely. Some great productions yeah. Which was, which was wonderful. I mean, but when I started, I'd also had, um, my own little production company, Blue Peanut Productions. Uh, at the time, we did a few um, bits and pieces here and there, and uh, radio play that you helped with. I remember. Yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And we did the radio plays of yeah. those, which was a lot yeah. of fun. Which was, and what I found fascinating about that is we didn't present it on the radio or in audio format. It was a live performance yeah. of a radio play. It was a live performance so of a radio fun. play, which was a blast. Yeah. Um, so that was that was kind of fun, and I enjoyed that kind of stuff. Um, 
and yeah, sorry, I've forgotten. And over the years, you've kind of weaned yourself away from the technical. Yeah, yeah no. You and I have both admitted that we walk into the booth now, we look at the boards, and we go, oh, oh it's no changed, idea it's what changed to do. so much. Yeah, the right? technology has yeah. left us behind. Exactly, yeah. right? I'm still looking for the big, like, you know, eighth inch jacks and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the patch bays. And I'm like, oh, no, okay, no, we're not yeah. doing that anymore. It's right. interesting that the, the first show that you worked on was a Shakespeare. And I know that you've got a particular passion for, uh, for Shakespeare. I do, yeah. Well, yeah. that comes from training. That comes, from, I think, a lot from training in England. Um, and what is the connection or what's, what's the, you know? Well, it, Shakespeare for so many is like theatrical DNA for the last 400 years. So much of what we do and everything that has developed has come from... Shakespeare's work, right? So, you know, when you, especially when you you learn this, we talk about this in the theater history classes, right? Ex, you know, the expressionists often cite Shakespeare as being the very first expressionist. Um, you know, uh, existentialists think, no, here's some of the, you know, real existential meanings of right, futurism. No, Shakespeare was really, really the first futurist. And you're like, well, no, it was just you know, stealing ideas and being, hey, let's do that. I can write that better. Let's do that one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and as a theatrical exercise, it's so challenging. I mean, that's a big draw, I think, it for really actors is. and directors. You know, there's no bigger challenge than sink your teeth into a Shakespeare. Well, there's always that question of, like, is it still relevant? Right? Which is great. And you think, okay, so you throw the language at people and um, for so many of the students that come in, you have a um, you have this barrier of what they've experienced in high school. Like, there's a lot of really good high school teachers out there who you know really introduce students to Shakespeare and to the literature you know the literal literature side of it and to the performance side of it at an early stage. But then there are other you know drum, you know English teachers in in high school who just throw them and say, okay, read this. And they take one look at the thou and us and what, and they're like, I don't understand this at all. I don't even. I have no idea what I'm reading. Right? So they, and they get this barrier that's put up. So to me, it's always really interesting because the stories that Shakespeare tells are enormously relevant. Like the the humanity of them, and the characters, and the depth of character, and the ideas behind them are. You know, incredibly relevant. We haven't evolved that much as human beings. The technology around us has evolved tenfold, but we ourselves are desperately trying to catch up. It's interesting because there's a number of, uh, of alternative theories to Shakespeare, yeah. and and so so one can even even call them conspiracies that that Shakespeare himself was a figurehead, didn't mm -hmm. maybe exist, and it was a compilation of all of these other stories brought together. To, to tell a message. So mm -hmm. what response do you have about the people who say that, you know, maybe Shakespeare didn't really exist. He was just a, a, a historical figurehead. I think it's fantastic and everybody needs a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> well done. No, I, yeah, it, it sounds terrible. Um, was Shakespeare really Shakespeare? Was he not really Shakespeare? Was, there was an actor writer named named William Shakespeare. We have evidence of that, absolutely. Um, there's an enormous amount of effort going into trying to prove that he wasn't 
the writer that we know. And I've never really grasped that concept. It's like trying to say Mozart wasn't really Mozart because his music is too good. <laughs> well, why? <laughs> right? Um, that makes It makes no sense to me at all. There are three basic sort of mainstream conspiracy theories. One's Christopher Marlowe, um, Edward de Vere, and uh, Francis Bacon. All of which are... Yeah, yeah, they're fun to think about. Absolutely. I personally love the Christopher Marlowe one, mostly because Christopher Marlowe was a spy, right? As well as a playwright, as well as, like, he wrote Fa Dr. Faustus, he wrote Edward II, he wrote Tamburlaine, and, you know, and then all of a sudden at 27, he's, like, stabbed in the neck in a bar in Deptford, and there's all of these conspiracy <laughs> theories around it, and he was, a right? Um, there's, there's wonderful conspiracy theories around it. I think the idea was that he went to Paris and then sent the papers and the pages to this, you know, sort of no-name actor named Shakespeare. He's, he's like, here, put your name to this and, and produce it and make sure that it gets out there. Okay, sure. So that's, a, that's a big scam that all of London would have had to be in on. If it's actually not really, <laughs> I love this. This is definitely a topic worth exploring. Oh, well, you uh, know, and I, I would love to just be devil's advocate through yeah, the whole yeah. thing because I, I find it fascinating as well. But and but I look at some of it and I go, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I find, you know, I'm the same way. I'm just amazed that one person could put out so much amazing information and insight um, with the amount of education and stuff that we were led to believe that Shakespeare had. So, you know, I, I, I get sucked into a lot of these conspiracies and I kind of go, wow, that does kind of make sense. Yeah, it was, yep. it was, it's believed that less than 10% of the population was actually literate, you know? Yeah, and and, and mm -hmm. the, the chance that a poor family even had the opportunity to, to learn how to read or write was Well, you've got to remember, was he, wasn't, he didn't come from a poor family, though. His, his dad father, was a glove maker. His dad was also the alderman, right? Yeah. Which made, made it so that Shakespeare not only had access to the education, but he also, um, any time a, a, a troop of players were coming through Stratford, they played for the alderman and his family first. Shakespeare got private court seat, basically court, you know, courtside seats for... Um, any of the plays that were coming through, so he had a very early he had a right. very early exposure to theater and theatricals and right all the different troops that were that were coming and going. You know, the other the other question I've always asked or wondered about is the thing about you know the education of the audience and stuff, mm. um, and yet they could sit through a, a three or four hour long production of Hamlet and be mesmerized by the language. And of course, it'd be like mm. listening to some rapper from another planet today because half the words they've never heard before. Yeah. I also often wonder how much of Shakespeare's writing actually made it to the stage. Oh, that's always that's a really good question. Because um, yeah. how much would they actually memorize of all of that, and um, and how would you even get that much information out to all of them in handwritten yeah. scripts? And that, but that's part of the that's part of the fascinating part of it is that so much of it, of course, was improvised. There was a lot of improvisation that was going on. Um, Thomas Kent, yeah, yeah, Kent. Kent was the clown, right? Yeah, I think so. Burbage was. Kemp. The, Kemp, Kemp, that's what, that's what he, Kemp, 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 sorry. Um, Kemp was the clown, but he was actually noted as being uh, a huge improviser. 
you would add lines and subtract lines all the all the time. And of course, you had a prompter there who was doing their thing. It wasn't as solidified as we may have thought. It was very, you know, it would morph and change. And um, how stylized. And if were it they? worked, yeah. And if Kemp had improvised a scene or parts of a scene or added lines or taken away lines, oftentimes it would just become part of the show. Right? Also, it, that thing about stylized of the productions, like in Shakespeare and Love, you see that one scene where they're doing the play in the court for the queen, mm -hmm. and it's very just kind of stand and deliver in costume. Uh, and then they get into the theater, and suddenly it becomes way more naturalistic. And, and, and that kind of always raised the question for me, well, like, what did these productions actually look like? Were yeah, they? And we don't know. We, we don't know. Yeah, yeah, we haven't got a clue. We barely know what the theaters look like. It was all it was the research that was done on the um, on the Shakespeare Globe, right? It was just piles and piles and piles of research. Um, and and the was, Globe actually, you know, took a very small part of the whole history of the Elizabethan. It really did. Yeah, you know, it's absolutely. A, it's a blip on the map. Of, yeah, it was like it was the. I mean, the original theater. There's so many legends that are around it. You know, the the legend of in 1599 where the uh, the the landlord for where the theater, the original theater was called the theater, right? Um, and the Chamberlain's men, the lease had run out. Um, and then they found a, a, a loophole in the contract that said that the lease was actually for the land and it wasn't for the building. So they tore the building, on the very last night, they tore the building down and moved all the timbers. And it was those timbers that made the globe on the other side. So there's all right, these kinds yeah, of like yeah. really interesting legends and, and such that were going on. Um, so many anecdotes have come down about Shakespeare's life and his ideas and, and what was going we on. We know so, so much less than we think we, we know. Yeah, one yeah. of the best, actually interestingly enough, one of the best books, and shameless plug for uh, Bill here, is that one of the best books I've, I've read on Shakespeare was actually by Bill Bryson. Mm. Um, and it was just the life of Shakespeare. And it starts by saying, the reason this book is so short is because we really don't know that much. <laughs> I was like, thank you. Yeah, it's a That's fabulous great. book. Yeah, we haven't yeah. got a clue. Um, we're almost at time. So I just wanted to maybe wrap up with a, um, I'm looking for, you know, a memory of a, of a, of a play that we've done at uh, Malaspina that, um, yeah, you just have some strong, strong connection with the strong memories or a favorite you know over the last uh, you know coming up on 37 years hard oh, to I, say a I couldn't pick there's been so many shows here that I just loved um, yeah. I, I, I couldn't say I honestly couldn't say uh, I could I, name half a dozen that really stick out in my brain that I you know that after, there's a lot of shows where after it's over you kind of go uh, I kind of missed that one yeah. And then there's a bunch of others where you go, wow, I really think we nailed that. But I couldn't pick one that I thought really was, I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> I'll say this. I'll, I really, as much as I love all of the big main stage productions that, w that we've done here and that I've had the opportunity to do here, I really love the addition of the studio. Mm, right? Yeah. Um, since we added that, is I've had the opportunity to do two shows in there. Uh, first one that we did was No Exit, and then after that it was um, the Suburban Motel um, right. yeah, yeah. piece, and it was brilliant both times. I had such a good time working in such, um, in such a small 
you know, tight little environment where you can only fit 30 people in there. And it, what I found fascinating about those is because you're working so much, it's, you're not looking as much on the, you know, the larger picture. It's about the intimacy of the acting. It's about the intimacy of that moment and making it as real as possible and really digging into every single moment of every single line to make it real and truthful and honest inside of the imaginary circumstance. And it was brilliant. Um, and I had a lot of fun on those. For sure. I, but I think the reason that those stand out for me is because it was so different, because we've been working on this main stage for so long. Yeah, I, I mean, on the I main agree. stage. The studio is really a great opportunity to kind of just shift gears and think in a different way. And yeah, exactly, because it's, it's a different style. You're not aiming for the back row anymore. You're aiming for somebody who's sitting as close to me as you are, mm -hmm. right, which is great. Um, so those, those stand out for me. But on the, at the same time, I don't want to disparage anything that I've... That I've managed to work on or see on stage, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there was some really, really excellent pieces. One of my favorites is actually one that you directed, which was Concord Floral. Um, Concord Floral was artistically, uh, from and visually, one of my one of the most beautiful yeah. pieces I've seen I'd, on here. Yeah, that was so one of many. my favorites as well. Yeah, I'd put it in my top six for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was a gorgeous spot. I definitely, uh, Roz and I were talking just before we started this session of uh, collected works of Billy the Kid. I thought that, that was something personally really special. And it's interesting you talk about that, um, the connection of the smaller space, because that one was in the round, you mm. know, built on stage, you know, raked seating. Yeah. And uh, I have really strong memories of, of that one and then of Power. Yeah. You know, they're power both was really good. unique pieces. Um, power was, power was uh, one that Ross actually wrote. Yeah. And then, uh, and so many really interesting topical vignettes that uh, I often think about. That's yeah. a, that was definitely a brilliant piece. Similar to and I think, you know, you, you notice the, the ones that really stand out are the ones where you take artistic risks. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's really about the art rather than just trying to do a play with a bunch of students. Yeah, it's uh, like when we did the balcony. We did a sim yeah, beautiful similar. Show. We did the whole, whole thing. The balcony just became a giant four-poster bed on stage that was... Right, that the audience was sitting around, and I remember when we were working on the opening, and we added the lights and the costume and the you know inside of the veneer, and there was that beautiful Nina Simone piece that had the you know, yeah. And I remember looking and going, "This is probably one of the nicest openings I've ever seen. This is gorgeous. I love this." Mm -hmm. Right, so I was very proud of moments, stuff yeah, like that. that was beautiful. It was great. Yeah. So I just wanted to say thank you very much, gentlemen. This has been great. Hey, our thank pleasure. You. I'm sure we could sit here for hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing missing is beers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this gives us an opportunity just to uh, experiment with storytelling in a new way. So I, mm -hmm. I look forward to a lot more um, episodes and uh, a combination of different uh, students, hosts, events, and guests. Great. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks. very much, Rob. Thank you. Thank you.